and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm Charlie. And in today's episode, we're going to be chatting about chapter 36 of Order and the Phoenix. So grab a glass of your favourite weird French alcohol created by monks and join us on this drunken, reminiscent journey. I think at this point we are con- contractually obliged. What contract are we under? Our own, not only personal brand, <laughs> but our inability to think of new jokes. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Guess, Guess who's, who's back? Back, back again. again. <laughs> Goblet of wine is back. Tell, Tell a friend. friend. We did it. <laughs> did you guys enjoy that? Yeah, I bet they did. Hi. Hi. We're back. We're from back. our break. Break. <laughs> Which also, like, we were laughing about this because it's funny. Because, like, when you guys see the break, it's not when the break happens. Yeah, we lied. Oh, no, it's not a lie. It's just because obviously we like pre record. So it's basically like we took a break and then had no episodes. So then, like, announced the break. And now we're recording this on the break that you guys know about. But yeah, when we announced the break five days later, we're recording the episode. And before this, we've done a load of work. Like, we had a month off, but it, we just lied about the timing slightly yeah exactly <laughs> but uh, it just the timing bit makes me laugh because we're three chapters before the end of the book and we were like no we're yeah. done <laughs> i know it i mean nikita did joke that it was because we didn't want to discuss sirius's death which like she <laughs> she's not wrong she's not wrong uh, but... we were just so emotionally traumatized we were like we're done <laughs> yeah but everyone was so nice about I us know. like take a break and like and because i said this again to nikita and she's like what did you expect people to be horrible i expected at least one message someone going oh i was really looking forward to your episode today but like no but it's like it's not that i thought people would be horrible it's just that like i'm constantly like blown away by how nice people are like not only in our reviews but like in our dms and on our emails and stuff and we can be a little bit shitty at like replying to people which i feel really bad about like we can take a while sometimes but it's because I get really overwhelmed. So, like, I will sometimes read the messages and have to, like, mark them as unread because I'm like, I can't There is nothing process. I can say that can, like, like uh, eloquently emotionally express... articulate. Yeah, emotionally articulate how I feel about yeah. this. Yeah. Anything I say feels like it will do a disservice to this person that has sent such a lovely message. So then I just have to, like, wait until I've had a lot of fucking caffeine yeah. slash alcohol, alcohol to reply. Yeah, <laughs> when I've same. had some espresso martinis, ideally. No, sometimes I go on a spree replying because yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. drunk and I'm like, oh, no, I'm emotionally ready. But yeah, yeah like, now I can be emotionally vulnerable with people. But yeah, like, <laughs> we we said in the taking a break message that we haven't taken a break in three years and that was the first time three and a half that was the first time i'd actually sat and thought about that and i almost like we like the fact that we need to take a break because this started as a hobby yeah but the expansion on our time from when we first started this to where we are now and then the difference from what we are doing to what we could be doing is immense like we constantly feel like we're letting you guys down and this isn't a cry for sympathy please don't <laughs> message like you never let us down we're just this saying is, we're useless <laughs> we're just we're just trying to explain like where we're coming from i constantly feel like i'm letting you guys down because i know there's more than we can do be doing and i look at these other podcasts and what what they're doing yeah we're like in that awkward stage where neither of us can even do this part-time, part-time. 
but we're big enough to have an audience. So it's like other podcasts do it part time or full time. We don't do that, but we still have an audience. So it's it's just like, and not only that, we neither of us work jobs that we switch off from after 35 to 40 hours a week. Yeah. We both work jobs where we pull a lot of overtime. Mm. And then that doesn't mix well with having an extremely strenuous hobby. <laughs> yeah. For anyone, by the way, that uh, did not see the announcement, we basically took like a very short break. Because... I don't know when this episode is going out. <laughs> yeah, because like, because whilst we've had like the occasional like skipped a week and then done shit, like we've not really taken a proper break in the three and a half years. And I know a lot of podcasts that do it like once or twice a year, they will take a month off. And that, that they should <laughs> Maybe we, we should build that in. <laughs> I don't think we realised that was an option when we started because we think, were like, this is a hobby. You I don't think, take breaks from hobbies. I think we might build that in going forward, Maybe. guys. Sorry. Maybe. And I feel like January is like a good month to do that. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're not very smart, basically. But yeah, basically we put out a thing, basically... I'm saying basically a lot uh, to say about the fact that we kind of burnt ourselves out, particularly me, like the last year where I like literally got made redundant and had to start my own business. Uh, and then I was like, I can do both. <laughs> it's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. It's not fine. And I like like a lot less, but like started a new job and it's, and, and it's all... You just, especially with COVID, have to feel like you just keep going. You just keep going and it's going to get better. It's going to get better. It's going to be yeah. fine. And then you're like, holy fuck, I'm exhausted. I yeah. can't do it. Yeah. So whilst we love doing the podcast, and I miss doing the podcast because this is oh the first God, time probably in like a month and a half month of us half. recording. Yeah. Like, I love it. It's literally one of like my most favourite things in my life. I know that was terrible grammar. Um, <laughs> it brings me so much joy. But at the same time, we needed a couple of weeks to catch up on everything, which hopefully by the time this comes out, we will feel in a better place about which yeah. is good and we're not gonna lie and say we're gonna be perfect humans because we're still both we're not working we're both time. trash we're like, absolute trash and we're sorry Hannah you're trash I'm I hate you trash. you're trash, you're trash. <laughs> you're trash. <laughs> we're both trash and we both work full time but we hopefully have got our heads in a better place to actually feel passionate about the podcast I never want the podcast to feel like an ordeal and that is the key thing here yeah if if we need to take breaks so that the podcast doesn't feel like an ordeal in a chore that's all I want yeah because it never should yeah Anyway, anyway, let's How, move how's your twenty twenty two? It's fine. Um <laughs> You know when you're like Okay, so I really don't subscribe to New Year's resolutions, New Year, New Me anymore, because especially post-pandemic, I feel like it's quite a toxic kind of thing to subscribe to think your life is just going to be suddenly better and all of this. But when you you, know, you arrive on the first day back at work and you're like, I'm going to be so productive in this. And then within half an hour, you're like, I'm so tired. Just slaps you in the face sometimes with your own yeah. failure in life. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm fine. Um, January has been a lot slower than November and December, which I appreciate. I've actually had days to build furniture, make a dress I've been wanting to make, do things like that, which hmm. I haven't had time to do before, declutter some things in the flat. Those things just slow you down a lot and make you be like, huh, I'm okay. I'm good. Yeah. So yeah, it's been fine. Yeah, that's good. I think I have like the opposite view with like New Year's where I do agree that it can be like toxic and putting too much pressure on yourself. But I've always seen it as like an excuse to reset because whilst I'm like aware that realistically like a New Year is absolutely meaningless sure. like i just see it as like an excuse like valentine's day i have the same opinion it's like no it should not take that one day of the year to take to like force you and your partner to appreciate each other but mm. it can also be just a nice excuse yeah, too definitely so like i was trying to treat it as like a bit of a reset and like to kind of re-examine goals especially because like for instance last year like it's actually quite crazy that i like started the year and i always at the end of the year have like a certain like 
planning I go through where I kind of reevaluate like my goals and what I want my like life to look like and my routines and like my priorities for the year. You're a very organized person. I am. Uh, <laughs> I don't do that. I'm just a bit insane. So I did that last year and then two months in got made redundant and started my own business, which changed the entire thing. So yeah. I had done all that preparation and then all of my focuses for the year completely got turned on their head. I think that's what I mean. Like I used to do more New Year's resolution, New Year's things and I think COVID has made me more jaded towards it. And maybe that's something I need to work through of becoming mm. less jaded towards it because three months in to... Well, actually no, 2020 for me was horrific. I got thrown into it and I haven't talked about this in the podcast because there was no need to but a month and a bit into it my grand died and then a few weeks later the pandemic hit and mm. I was just like well how can I have planned for this in my new year's resolutions in my planning life this is stupid we can't plan for life it's just gonna come at us yeah and I more tried to take a view of it like enjoy what you can yeah I think for me it's less about like planning for it as it is about like living very intentionally to be like this is how I know that this year like I yeah. want to spend my time I want to prioritize these That's things nice. I want to work towards like these goals it's not to say that I'm going to do xyz at like this exact time and this is like the time scale and whatnot but I like enjoying like having those focuses but I think that it's probably ideally something that should be done every six months and I do normally halfway through the year try and have a bit of think about it but I definitely didn't last year because I was just so busy like fucking living yeah but yeah I did kind of look at last year's when I came to do this year's and I was like oh (laughs) like there was so much that I wanted to do like I wanted to like restart YouTube again because I was not feeling fulfilled in my job and I wanted like a creative outlet that I felt okay about and then obviously I got made redundant so then I was like no okay my creative outlet is gonna be starting a business um so it's like things like that that I quite, find quite funny. But yeah, so I've done my like yearly reset. I'm feeling good. very good. I'm like building up my routines that I'd fell out of, which are like always good for my mental health. Good. Hannah finally met my partner. I did. I'm going to use the podcast opportunity to say I hate <laughs> You didn't, right? I just thought it'd be really funny to make that joke. It probably isn't. No, I really liked him. No, because I'm very like worried. Like, well, you secretly did hate no, him. No, through a set of circumstances, I couldn't meet him until an awkward amount of time. <laughs> Literally been like, like quite serious now. two and a half months yeah. like so not quite serious but like like relatively serious yeah um so we have new patrons to welcome to the patreon family we do a kilimanjaro size thank you to katie a trouser snake size thank you to samantha who is our new producer level patron a celiac size thank you to celia wow <laughs> A Jamaica size thank you to Jasmine. An Alvin and the Chipmunk size thank you to Ash, who is our new producer level patron. A Gokwan size thank you to Genevieve. Is that because we were talking about Gokwan earlier? Yes. Yes. <laughs> A Roxanne size thank you to Rexy. Absolutely gobsmacked that the name wasn't Roxanne. <laughs> I know. When we get a Roxanne, we're going to have to sing the whole thing. A Meghan Markle size thank you to Meghan. Very nice. It's actually spelt like Meghan Markle as well. And a Anna Karenina size thank you to Anna Katrina, who has upgraded her pledge. Thank you all. Bet she's never heard that before. I know. Thank you all so much for joining the Patreon. We do things on there sometimes. <laughs> no, we will. I'm going to edit a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. loads go what do we what do we have coming up let's tell them what we're um, gonna have we up. have our friend charlotte who has never read or really engaged with harry potter oh before. my god i forgot about that yep uh she uh did a like, like a bonus episode with us yeah, where we asked, we her, like, asked questions. her questions and she tried to guess oh my god i'm so excited for that because i've forgotten that completely yeah that's gonna be great we have the albania vlog my god yes we do do you know what did i ever even uh edit the meetup 
vlog? I don't think I did. Nope. Nope. <laughs> There is some embarrassing footage of us. Uh, uh, you trying to do the splits on the street. Oh, the chaos of yeah. that. Yeah, there's the meetup vlog. There's some other bonus episodes we've recorded that are in the tank. There's a yeah. lot on the way. On the way. On the way. When people. I edit it, which I will soon. <laughs> um she will um so yeah you can all enjoy that as well as access to some other behind the scene things you can pick our alcohol our alcohol today is picked by a producer level patron and you get access to the discord which is mostly managed by people who aren't us so is actually functional and not a place of chaos do you want to read the review this podcast keeps me sane said (laughs) kittelhoff beautiful I don't think that's a name, but if that is a name, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I think you've just hate-crimed that person. Love. I found this podcast over the summer and immediately fell in love with Hannah and Charlie's banter and analysis and humour. In December of last year, I found out that my restaurant of five years was closing and I was being transferred to a new location. I'm now at work daily for four to five hours, all by myself doing all the prep. I'm an introvert, but it's really lonely to be all by myself in a restaurant. And this podcast makes it feel like I have friends with me and I'm not alone. I also listen in the car through an airport. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> when I'm driving with my kids. See, that's why they clarified. Oh, they're kids. And they're singing dinosaur songs for the millionth time. Thank you for making my new restaurant a happier experience for me. I recommend this podcast to oh, everyone. Thank that you. That is so nice. Really good luck with the new mm. restaurant. That sounds really exciting. I do understand how it can get lonely, but also like the idea for a job that's just me alone listening to a podcast for a few hours is like chef's kiss. Yeah. I chef's do get how it's it... a restaurant. Oh, yeah. 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 It's so funny. <laughs> uh but yeah i do understand how in practice that could get lonely but also just the mere idea of it i'm like yeah yeah oh well i hope the new restaurant goes well and i'm glad we have been able to help in any way we also have a producer level alcohol today this alcohol comes from lewis and now i i I need to apologize to lewis lewis has been a producer level patron for about four months and through a number of different disasters entirely my fault not lewis's fault this alcohol has been delayed and delayed and delayed (laughs) mostly because he gave us quite a niche one and it took me a while to find it in a way to buy it that wasn't going to bankrupt us um i did in the end then i forgot to buy it (laughs) then christmas happened then we took a break now here we are finally we were on a break we were on a break so lewis asked us to drink (laughs) to bring lewis asked us to drink chartreuse vert what the fuck is that well it's green chartreuse charlie but what chartreuse well like i've heard of it but what actually is it do you want me to google that yeah because it's like one of those alcohols like that i feel like there's so many alcohols like this that people like say and i'm like but what actually is that you know chartreuse has a very strong characteristic taste it's cool. very sweet, but becomes both spicy and pungent. Ooh. It's a herbal liquor. Why do people keep giving us herbal I, liquors? I was fucking with this until you said herbal liquor. It is a French herbal liquor. Ooh, available French. in green and yellow versions that different tastes and alcohol content. The liquor has been made by the... Ca- oh, interesting. By the Carthusian monks since 1737. You know what? I love nothing more than a monk that loves to get absolutely twatted. I, I once read a story, uh, not a story, um, a, a history thing, a place me and Neil visited where the monks couldn't drink the water because it was 
like very bad for them. So they were just drinking beer the entire time. And this place still produces beer to this day. Goats. Those monks knew what they were doing. Yeah. Anyway, monks produced this. Um, the instructions were sat in a manuscript given to them by Francois Annabelle de Astries in 1607. Wow. Yeah. This uh, is, I believe the bottles we've bought are 55%. Fuck me. And Lewis asked that we shot it before mixing it with anything else. So I managed to find us four miniatures because a big bottle was like 50 quid. Yeah. And we're going to shot one miniature and then mix nice. it for another miniature. Lewis, what I would love to know is how does one end up that... I I assume that this is something that you've like drunk before or drink on a regular basis if it's what you want us to drink. And I just... How, how does this end up on a person's repertoire? Lewis, are you French? Please let us know. If you are, I'm really sorry for just being like, ew, French. <laughs> But also, what did you expect? Yeah. Uh Sorry, Charlie. Lewis, well, he must be French uh, because he lives a few minutes away, a few miles, not a few minutes, a few miles away from Chartreuse and said he's not surprised we struggled to find it because it is a struggle to get it anywhere outside the Alps. Thanks for listening from the Alps, Lewis. Um, If you're not, how did you end up drinking this? Yeah. Let's give it a go. I'm concerned by the words on Google that said strong characteristic i'm like no Ooh, it smells like mouthwash why do people keep it's really making drink herbal liquors mm. all right cheers, cheers. <laughs> oh, 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 oh my god oh no, my god no no oh no. oh it's like the devil's mouthwash congratulations lewis i'm giving you a prize and the prize is oh. in five seasons of this podcast you've given us the worst <laughs> alcohol that is worse was that worse than the time we had to drink the egg thing that was w- yes and worse than the ouzo oh my god okay it might not have been worse than the time i had to drink the raw egg yolk oh no it's still going it might be i'm on the you know floor. what it tastes like it tastes like if not just oh. mouthwash, but you know, like dental mouthwash, like that. But if someone made it both spicy and incredibly alcoholic, has Neil tried that? He tried a tiny sip of it, but I don't think anything. Lewis, oh. um, I can, it's coming. It's coming. That away. was painful. That was worse than the, than the egg, and I'll tell you why. Because the egg was gone. It was just gin. Yeah. Like it was just. Gone. You should have said, "I'll tell you for why." I'll tell you for why. <laughs> this is still going. Oh, yeah, no, it really is. I can feel it sliding down my body, just... I really feel that that's not going to mix well with my empty stomach. <laughs> oh, you might be onto something there. It's fine, we've got Greek on the way. Oh, uh, my God. But he asked us to mix it for the second one, so what do you want it mixed with? What's going to conceal the taste? So we now have a different one mixed with Coke. Let's give it a go. Better, but it's ruining the Coke. That is a grassy taste um yep. the monks didn't know what they were doing the monks were trying to kill people and i firmly believe this just... is how monks saw deities because if i drank enough of this i'd fucking see a deity you... i'd fucking think you were a deity you know the thing about history and like a lot of <laughs> you know the thing about history but a lot of history is that like you know it's historians interpreting shit but they yep. interpret shit as like very literally and you always have to think about like the fact that they were drunk if... writing no but like what like what if it's just like historical shit posting? You know, if if say we all you know hopefully got destroyed tomorrow by some like big fucking meteor. Have you seen meteor? Have you seen that new film? Yes, Leo. loved it. Yeah, great. Um, what if that happened and then some historians like you know uncovered Twitter? 
and just took everything on there as serious mm, yeah. or worse, Tumblr. Like, you know, and they base history off the shit posts. You have to think about that. So these monks... And also, we're not considering the fact that people in the ancient times didn't drink water because it was poisonous, so they just drank alcohol. So they were drunk the whole time. But these monks that found this recipe left to them by someone in, like, the 16th century or whatever it was. 15th. What what if that was a shit post? What if he was like, you know, what would be really funny? If I I wrote down the most... Neil just looks it up. There's 160 flavors. The most disgusting recipe and I'm going to write it down and one day someone is going to find this. I will leave this for these monks. This alcohol was a shitpost. The one thing I will say a thank you to Lewis is I hope by the time we finish this podcast and we're not saying that's anytime soon as you guys know it's taken a year and a half to get through book five so don't get upset about this ending anytime soon but I hope by the time we finish this episode this podcast we can say firmly to people that we have drunk a large amount of the alcohols in the world not all of them there are thousands it's this is genuinely like such a big thing for me because i started drinking so late i was 20 when i started Mm. to drink and there was just so much that i had never drunk overwhelming amount yeah i feel like it's like especially i think i get this worse because i started drinking so late so i had so much catching up to do that people would offer me drinks and i would just not know what shit was and it was like a massive point especially because i was a lot more socially anxious then it was like a massive point of social anxiety for me the idea of like not knowing what alcohol was and feeling like this was some part of adulthood that i did not understand because obviously i knew the basics like wine and beer and cider and like vodka (laughs) yeah but like i didn't know what a lot of the weird spirits and just liqueurs and stuff was and like this podcast has like been great for that i now know more alcohols than the by far the average person guys please keep going weird please i love this if you want to go wine don't just say wine recommend us a specific wine i yeah, will find not it a really expensive you'll ad- no, not really expensive, but you'll admit i'm quite good at finding whatever people request oh yeah you're re- i don't know how you do it i would check on amazon and tesco and go nah fuck it no <laughs> i i have spent there is one person who i haven't fulfilled yet who i've made a promise that they get an extra episode alcohol if we mm. ever find it because i was so upset it's the only one i've never found like I just want you guys to go niche because I want to finish this podcast and be like, anytime I'm at a bar when people are like, oh, have you tried this? I'm like, yeah, I've tried it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've tried it. Anyway, we've tried Chartouche now and I can firmly say I hate it, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. But also at least I now know. I know. When I have an enemy and we're at a bar together that sells weird booze, I can be like, hey, you have to try this. uh, What is it? Chartreuse? Chartreuse. And you have to be like, oh, it's made by monks in the 16th century. Oh my God, you're going to love it. It's really like unique to like French culture. Yeah. It's so Imagine good. Imagine telling Emily in Paris about it. She'd love it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Emily in Paris would have one shot and she would die. <laughs> she would fall down dead immediately. <laughs> no, first she'd blow up all the Instagram accounts she manages <laughs> and then she'd fall into the sea and die. Mm. We really like Emily in God Paris. God bless. I think we just wrote season three. <laughs> Chapter 36. <laughs> Chapter 36. 37 minutes into recording. <laughs> the only one... He ever feared. I just dropped my phone. I can see that. Oh my oh god. god. Harry is fighting against Lupin and screaming Sirius's name. I really love the difference between the way that we both write our notes. <laughs> notes because whilst you wrote, repeat that. Harry is fighting against Lupin and screaming Sirius's name. I wrote, Harry is properly beefing with the curtain and Lupin is holding him back saying he's dead. <laughs> 
I mean, same point, different ways. Yeah. And then Harry comes to this awful realization, which hurt me, that Sirius has never kept Harry waiting. And if he's not appearing now, then it yeah. must be true what Lupin is saying. Yeah. And this, so much in these next few chapters cut me deep. Like, I was seriously mm. like, how did I read this as a child and just be emotionally okay? But this yeah. really hurt me. There's a line I really, I would say, love, but more have thoughts on where Harry says, like, oh, no, no, no. Like, it's fine. Like, Sirius is going to come through the curtain at any minute, shaking back his dark hair. And yeah. it's like, even when he's confronted with, like, the likely possibility that his godfather is dead, he's still just like, oh, he's so hot. He's so hot. He's going to come back through the curtain in slow-mo like he's in a fucking Pantene advert, just yeah. like shaking his hair. And even if we don't see it in a bisexual way, which obviously we all do, but just to give it a moment if we didn't, it's focusing on those minute details that make a person what it is and it's focusing on those those details that only someone who loves you yeah. notices. Obviously, we all agree that mm. Harry has a crush on Sirius but yeah. like even if we took that aside it's when you love someone you focus on those details about the hair the eyes the hands mm. Mm. that people who don't love don't notice yeah I have just started reading my boyfriend's favorite book which is Name of the Wind which mm. is I'm excited to read um, it at some point. it's honestly it's so good mm. and it's I don't think it's like the biggest series out there, but it's like it's got like a kind of small to medium sized, like incredibly loyal and passionate fan base mm. because it's one of those things where it's like an undiscovered gem, I think. So the people that know about it want everyone to know of about course. it. So I posted it to buy private instagram story which some people from the podcast do have so yeah i posted it on like my personal like uh instagram on my story just that we were just reading the pub together and like the cover of <laughs> oh, the yeah, book was in that, the thing yeah. and i got two messages one from like a podcast um listener tom and one from hannah's downstairs neighbor just like oh my god that is the best book oh but i just feel like it's for those people that forget it's literally her downstairs neighbor which to me is just like hilarious so yeah basically why i brought this up is because i've been reading this book and i'm not that far into it so no spoilers please but there is like an entire paragraph where one male character describes the eye color of the other male character like in excruciating detail like really poetically done and, uh, like, I, I, I read this out to my boyfriend and I was like, is the author gay? <laughs> gay? And he was like, what? No, I don't think so. And I was like, no, this is really gay. This is really gay. This is like an entire paragraph about this guy's green eyes. This is really gay. This is not like a straight man writing or like these characters are gay, but like, is the author gay? And he was like, I... I don't think so. I've never really read it that way. And I was like, no, this is this is queer. This is deeply fundamentally queer. It was not only that bit, but like these two characters I from like page one, I was like, homosexuals. And um then so I Googled it. Like I, I read a few more chapters and then I was on my own and it, it just continued to be so like fucking homosexual that I yes. was like, I have to Google this. Sure. So I Googled the author's sexuality and it kind of was one of those things where it's like, ah, he has a wife so he's straight and I'm like that's not good enough 
that's not an answer. So there was no really real like definitive answer on the author's sexuality until I came across this weird fan website that had um, a bunch of like polls where it was like, we don't know for sure. He's never really commented on his sexuality. So vote. And it was like, I get so naturally I clicked by and like, it was like 64% of people agree that he's bisexual. <laughs> and there was another one where it's like, do you think that he does drugs? And then it was like, yes, he does hard drugs. And- <laughs> Yes, he does recreational. No, he doesn't do drugs. <laughs> and it was like people vote. It was such a weird website. Well, this um, was where I d- did really like your new boyfriend, where I brought up the fact that obviously us two are aware that Andrew, Andrew Scott Andrew Scott is gay. Because of course we have looked this up mm. post Sherlock and Fleabag. Of course we have looked up Andrew Scott's sexuality because we need to know whether Rome with a chance. <laughs> yeah. Both Neil and Connor, Charlie's new boyfriend, were completely shocked that this man was gay because obviously he is quite a pin-up icon for a lot of women and a lot of people who are attracted to men. And they were completely shocked by this. And I just found this hilarious that me and Charlie straight away were like, yeah, we looked up straight away whether he was was gay because obviously after Fleabag we did. And that was just hilarious to me. I mean, Connor's bi, so he was just personally delighted. Oh my God, he was so... He was like, are you serious? Are you serious? And you were like, like, could you calm down right now? (laughs) The thing is, it's not even a hall pass. I'd be like, mate, go for it. You just have to tell me all about it literally all, all about it literally that man um, would get a free pass to anyone like oh my gosh yeah. <laughs> i also um love i'm gonna recommend name of the wind by the way so i've just gone on a tangent on our podcast about another book but i'm sure people love it i would recommend it anyway because i then kind of fell into a hole of reading about this author sure. and when i was looking up his sexuality there was like twitter like a twitter thing where someone had tweeted him to say like oh are you ever gonna include like a gay couple in any of your books hmm. and he had replied to be like Used to say I already ha- like haven't, nice. uh, which is good. And then there was another one, uh, like interview with him where he went on a massive long tangent slagging off J.K. Rowling, which admittedly was slightly hypocritical of him, but saying basically like you need to put it like explicitly in your text. But why it's not hypocritical is because he then said in the interview he was like, admittedly like. I need to do better at this as well. Like, oh, put it explicitly nice. in your text. Like, he's like, sometimes it's not relevant to the plot, but you can't just come out afterwards and say, oh, this character is gay. Nice. Like, either it's relevant or it this isn't. Is, and he yeah. was, yeah, just slagging her off for it. I'm like, fucking yeah. That's cool. That's cool. I want to read anyway, this book. So, yeah, why I brought this up was basically to bring up the whole, like, whole paragraph about a guy's eye colour, because that shit is gay. Yeah. And, like, however you view Harry, whether, whether he. Like, even if you view Harry as fancying Sirius in a bisexual, homosexual way, he still loves him and also a parent figure in a platonic love way. Like, his love for him is very complex. Yeah. Whatever way you view it, his love for him is complex because he doesn't have parents. And I agree, like, him describing his... Describing his hair when he imagines him coming back out the veil was very intentional. Yeah. Because it's whether it's describing what Harry is attracted to or whether it's describing the just the minutiae detail of someone that you love. Yeah, and it also and also like idolize and look up to because whilst I personally enjoy the reading of Harry as a bisexual man, yeah. I can also if it's like if if you were gonna shut that down and say absolutely not, which fuck you because it's down to the individual's interpretation, but if you were gonna say absolutely not, like I also do enjoy like the reading of it of just like he wants to be serious. Yeah, absolutely. Um and I think that, you know, speaking as a bisexual, every bisexual goes through that phase of like 
do I want to be that person or do I want to fuck that person? It's like (laughs) you really go through that like self-evaluation and then you come to the terms with like, yeah, I want to fuck them. And Harry's very young (laughs) at this point. Even if we interpret Harry as a textual bisexual, Mm. he is going through so much in these books. He would definitely not realise that till post books. Like he is going through so much. Kid does not have time to emotionally process No, he absolutely, he has no time to really be thinking about his sexuality. fine. Yeah, absolutely. And also... Ginny would be so chill with that, and I love Ginny for that. Oh my god, you like, just you, you just, just know, know that they would swing, a hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. But even if they didn't, Ginny would just be like, yeah, yeah, man. Ginny absolutely would peg Harry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, this is why we stand. Ginny, right? Yeah, moving I did on have to my note. second note. <laughs> oh no, sorry. I did. Uh, continuing with this, I did have a note that Harry goes through the stages of grief very quickly, and I, I don't know how much like psychological, um, like merit that theory has about you know the whole like denial, blah blah blah, like all those stages of grief. But Harry pretty much goes from like denial to. Yeah, all right, he's dead then, like, really quickly. I do believe that's because he's in a battle situation because we see a regression of the stages in the next chapter. Yes, for sure. But I'm also like, is it because he's in a battle or is it for, like, plot convenience? No, I think it's because he's in a battle because we see a regression in the next chapter and then we see an even further regression when he asks Nick if it's possible that he can come back as a ghost. We definitely see the regression. And I do believe that anger is justified when he chases after Bellatrix because he's oh, still yeah. in that moment of like hyper emotions and panic. Yeah. So I, I agree that when he the just clunk, snaps to like the oh, clunky moment that he says Sirius has never kept him waking waiting broke my heart, but it's very yeah. soon You know what denial. I would have liked? I would have liked some additional just one other sentence to say how it's like he realised it on some level. Cause I think we've all had that moment. You know when you realise something on a level but you're not ready to fully realise it. Hundred percent. So you're like it kind of sinks in twenty percent, but you're not yeah. You're not ready to admit it to yourself. Yeah. I I kind of feel like Harry went through that. It's like deep down, he knew he was dead. He did not want to face that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's enough to move him away from the curtain, but not enough to like shut the trauma. I think that's tackled quite well in the next chapter, but this chapter is kind of like messily tackled in some ways because she Mm -hmm. wanted to get to the action. So Lupin pulls Harry back to where Neville is still struggling. And, oh my God, bless Neville's heart. I'd never, ever thought about this. Neville asks, because Harry is shouting still, he's screaming. Mm. So Neville says, Harry, I'm so sorry. Was that man, Sirius Black, a friend of yours? Neville still thinks, according to the canon that he knows in his own mind, that Sirius is a criminal who killed Harry's parents and was responsible for their deaths. And is the cousin of Bellatrix of you know, crucioed his parents. Neville, and... when Sirius appeared, probably thought he was appearing with the Death Eaters, yeah. but yet he has the compassion yeah. because Harry is grieving but to he... say, I'm so sorry. He would have known slightly more than that because, like, I'm sure Harry would have referenced, like, you know, that they were going there for Sirius, but it's like he had no context. And this is the thing as well, like, he went there with no context. He yeah. knew they were saving someone and that was enough. And I just, oh my God, like, the amount that Neville needs his dick sucked. Like, just... The fact that Neville got with the character that is the only character that shares my name is a source of pride to me because... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Neville. I don't have any words, just Neville. If you made me pick, like, one of the, like, student age, like, 
people that I would have wanted to like end up with. It's Neville yeah. by far. 100%. Like out of all of them, out of the trio, out of like any of like the DA, like it's Neville. Yeah. Fuck yeah. His like his ability for compassion compassion based on what he's been through and also what he's been through in school. Harry is popular in school. Yes, mm. he's been ostracized, but he is mostly popular. Neville has never had a best friend. He's been rejected by girls, by friends, by everyone. And yet he keeps up this ability to give people everything, every part of him, anything they need. Mm. We'll get into it even more in the next chapter, yeah. but I can't. To summarise, Neville needs his dick sucked. Exactly. So... Bellatrix is now fighting Kingsley and she knocks him down with a spell, which kind of shows us how powerful Bellatrix is because we know mm. Kingsley's kind of the most powerful jeweler there. Oh, I I have a point to the contrary. Mm, tell it. There's like a literally like a throwaway line about how Mad Eye has like stopped and is trying to revive Tonks. Oh God, that line made me want to cry. Uh, and I just, oh, I love it so much because, because he loves my, Tonks. But also, in my opinion, Mad Eye is probably one of, like he, like, the if not one of them. I do agree that it's probably like really tight between Mad Eye and Kingsley. Mad Eye is the best historically. Kingsley is now coming up on him and is probably yeah, equal. Yeah, yeah. Is but how like, I see he's it. He's definitely still one of the most dangerous oh, people 100%. there. Yeah. And rather than fighting as he probably should be, he has stopped to take care of Tonks. Bear in mind like, he has one eye in at the moment. The yeah. other eye is spinning next to Harry. Yeah. And he's trying to and like he'll still be seeing that, which like must be so disorientating. But like, mm. I just love that it's like he and Mad Eye as well is not the kind of person. If if this was someone like Arthur Weasley doing this, I'd be like, yeah, of course he would stop because it's Arthur. But it's like it's Mad Eye who absolutely no like, vigilance, the greater good. Yeah, he, he is. Yeah. he is. He's the one that when they like um you know take him take Harry in the seventh book. The safe houses, yeah. Is the one being like, no, you don't stop, blah, blah, blah. Like, you get Harry to safety. Like, that's a priority, blah, Even blah, blah. Even in the fifth book, when they're getting Harry to go in place, yeah. if we're killed, we're killed to get Harry there. He exactly. Does, he acts like he doesn't care about he's killed, but he cares so much about Tonks because that's yeah. his protege. Yeah. Like, he's so, like, cut and dry about these things normally and, like, is absolutely, like, for the greater good. And, like, he probably knows that in that moment he should be fighting because yeah. he is one of the best there. And it's and it's the but, description of him. I think J.K. Rowling used the word, like, crawling or something like that for him to save Tonks mm. and I honestly got chills yeah chills I love because it because it's almost like he knows Tonks is yeah. him and we we know as well that like out of all of the auras it's like him Tonks and Kingsley that the ones that are in the Order of the Phoenix and they're like the oddballs and Kingsley is only counted as like the oddballs let's be honest we can read this as like a race thing and yeah. that's not me saying oh he's an oddball because he's black I'm saying he's an outcast because of his race and yeah. we know that from the way that JK Rowling has set it up intentionally or not that like the wizarding world is like predominantly white yeah I think in that way it like mirrors the real society that yeah. we have in terms of the hierarchies in the UK Absolutely. but yeah so that's why Kingsley but for all like intents and purposes Kingsley is you know that's the only reason and he's kind of in this like outcast group but for but that also could be interpreted as the reason why he defects to the order of the phoenix so early because we've got to remember yeah. the people in the order of the phoenix now are made up of some of the auras and high power people in the ministry who defected early who realized what was going on early mm. and you can interpret kingsley we don't know his blood status but However you interpret his blood status, whether he's pure blood or not, he knows what has happened to the black people in the UK, like yeah. how they have come to be in this country. Yeah. Therefore, he is aware of the prejudice 
that goes against Muggleborns and other mm. peoples in this country. Mm. Whether, however you interpret race in Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling firmly sets it in the 1990s. Therefore, Kingsley Shacklebolt, whether he's a purebot or not, is firmly aware of yeah. black people's status in the UK. And I'm sure it's replicated within within the wizarding world. Like, yeah. I... I would bet a huge amount of money that like Fudge and all of his disciples are the kind of people that absolutely commit microaggressions towards black people. Well, that tiny line that Pansy Parkinson said to Angelina Johnson mm. of you've got worms coming out of your head, whether we want to view that as J.K. Rowling's racism when she just thought she was making a mean comment or we want to interpret it as actually the pure bubbles are mostly or predominantly white wizards... Yeah. You know what I can really picture in terms of race and the wizarding society? I can kind of picture two things. I can picture... Okay, so, like, we can assume that magic does not discriminate. So it doesn't really make sense to say that, oh, okay, all of these old wizarding families are predominantly white because surely there is just as much chance that they are off any ethnicity. But I bet two things happened. One back in the day when schools were segregated in and even before that was you know slavery i bet the not everyone had the access to like wizarding education so you probably uh, had some very absolutely. old wizarding families that simply were not accepted into the wizarding world absolutely. because they were not given access to education not given access to jobs or opportunities absolutely and then i bet a second thing happened that those that you did have or eventually when it did happen because we know that, like, essentially the concept of having, like, a pure blood family is bullshit. That there is no such thing. That, no. Uh, they all would have... Uh, the, and the, I what the, is it called? The Power 12? The Higher yeah, 12? But, whatever I, it is. Yeah, and I say this, like, with massive, you know, inverted commas. But, like, that all families have strayed at some point. Obviously. Uh, but... What I imagine is that with white families, it's kind of like looked over. It's like, yeah, they're not like technically, technically pure blood, but we're going to look at, you know, you know, ignore yeah. that. I imagine when it's black families or other families, that it's probably like, oh, no, they're out. They're out. They strayed. They're no longer like fully pure blood. You uh, know? Absolutely. If we're going to take this at a level that J.K. Rowling was interpreting the real, real world into the wizard world, which absolutely we know from her textual that she was, then I can fully imagine a world where the white families, although there are black families when colonisation happened, that have been pure blood wizards for as long as the line has continued because they're only just coming over to the UK. Mm. By the way, what the podcast can see is I'm using air quotes almost constantly in this sentence. <laughs> yeah. They don't see them as mm. pure blood wizards because they can't check back on their history of pure bloodedness. Does that mean that 200 years on in Hogwarts society that black wizards don't exist in the upper echelons of pure bloodless? No, because I firmly do believe that Blaise Sabini is a black character. Mm. Like, that interpretation is pretty... Yeah cemented in my mind but that to me is that kind of thing like oh, we can't be racist we've got a black friend like yeah absolutely anyway to bring this point home because we were talking about kingsley shacklebolt but to me like tonks and mad eye are the oddballs because they were the ones that were like the different orders that yeah. were seen as a bit like erratic and quirky and weird yeah. and and they probably really bonded over this and i just really have a head cannon about you know like 
Tonks, because there must be some kind of like academy, you know, training process. Like, yeah. Tonks kind of joining the academy and being like this weird one that not only because she was a woman, but because of her quirks, it was just really underestimated and like mad eye seeing himself and her and taking her under his wing. And, and it's the moment that we have this like the most pragmatic character and probably the most powerful in the room. It would only be Kingsley that contends it. Stop fighting to care for her and I'm dad is just like the know, father figure thing even though I know she has a father but like oh my but god but her father is a muggle her father cannot protect her yeah. in this sphere so Maddie has taken on the role as her father in the wizarding yeah yeah well, love I, it I just I love the relationship and it's a throwaway two. line it's not supposed no, to no it's beautiful it's love really it. beautiful yeah but I also really like that Bellatrix knocks down Kingsley because we've only been introduced to Kingsley in this point and all we know about him is powerful. Harry feel confidence in him straight away. And it's it's not necessarily just J.K. Rowling writing from a kind of racist point of view, but it's also just Harry meets him and he's like, yeah, yeah, him. And I, love- I like him. He's strong. Yeah. He's powerful. I like him. Like, yeah. I like that writing personally. Yeah. I don't mind if other people have different interpretations of it but personally yeah. i like that writing but then suddenly this character who so far has been reliable the voice of reason everything is knocked down by bellatrix that tells you how powerful bellatrix yeah. is and that yeah. is good yeah i did love the casting of kingsley because oh. i just feel like the he way more i can't I, don't, I can't remember his name but like the way that the guy did it mm. was just yeah just puts you at ease. And also, I really appreciate the costume designer giving him slight prints and patterns mm. here that are traditional to, and I wish I could say the specific areas of Africa, but I'm not going to at this point, but I will research it afterwards and put it in the description. But basically, I know from the book I have that the costume designer gave him prints and specific uh, cuts of clothing that were mm. more specific to different areas of Africa that I think that actor or either where jk rowling imagined kingsley shackleford yeah. to be from and i think that's really nice from the from the costume designer i think that was really cool yeah um, absolutely like and i i just wish that was more throughout the books in more different characters because yeah magic is magic and why should it be limited to and like I, I was kind of thinking about this and i can't remember why but when i was like reading the chapters earlier and it's just like I feel like so many, and this might be like my limited kind of grasp on like various histories, but like I feel like there are so many cultures mm. where magic plays such a large part of their history and cultures 100%. and mythology. Yeah. And then in like, at least like white British, it's like, yes, it's a part of our kind of like history and mythology, mm. but very much in a way where it's like, ha, you're a witch, burn, burn, burn. where there are so many like cultures and histories that have kind of embraced it in like such a... Yes huge way yeah so it's like to me it makes the wizarding world so much more interesting to like involve these other like strains of magic 100 percent. as opposed to like the uk where it's just like yeah we just burn anyone that we thought was a witch burn so many people i almost i like that jk rowling then tied that witch burning into when the wizards separated from the muggles yeah but there's so many other cultures where they didn't burn people yeah where they embrace like hi please tell us how these because, like, we know the statute of secrecy exists in the UK, but why does it exist everywhere? Yeah. Because other cultures revere magic or, as they call them, healers in other cultures or whatever the language is mm. that other cultures call them. There are still cultures that exist in this world that call people who are good with medicine and plants and good at healing people yeah. some kind of healer figure and believe they deal with other deities and magic and things. Yeah, but this is why I call myself an agnostic theist because people, you know, when they say about like 
magic and religion and like other forces i'm like who's to say that that's not like electricity and chemicals and medicine like it's how you define it like that can be interpreted as like a medical uh sorry a magical thing absolutely like it's you know it's it's just that we've managed to explain it that we're like oh therefore it's not magical but i'm sorry i press a button on a wall and a light turns on i don't know where we were we it's been an hour and we drunk a lot of no we ate a lot of food so i think i was just saying that bellatrix knocks kingly down and we were talking about that kingsley is one of the best fighters in the room yes absolutely and harry sprints after bellatrix screaming that she killed sirius i'll kill him and he literally like sprints past his friends and he describes each of them in turn hermione's still unconscious ron is stirring Mm -hmm. Ginny says harry what and luna is like there as well (laughs) (laughs) luna is there luna's there um so we know they're all left in the state that we last left them in but harry is single-mindedly following bellatrix so he gets into the room with the doors and bellatrix is already ahead and through and the room is spinning and harry then yells i need a way out or which way is the way out and the door on the way out just opens and i genuinely cannot tell if this is bad writing or jk rowling was trying to be clever about something i I really want to (laughs) know i hate to say i think it's clever okay Um, why please tell me why because i was trying to work it out because i feel like it's the same thing where it's like wizards because they have magic always jump to the most elaborate answer okay it's the same thing when dumbledore was like did you pay an older student to put your name in the goblet of fire as if that would have worked right i feel like it's the same thing that all of these wizards would have done all of this elaborate magic to try and work it out and the answer is just to say which door is it? Yeah, I suppose also from a security perspective, getting out is doesn't need to be as secure as getting in. True, very true. So it doesn't it doesn't make not sense. But Although it's I guess the, if someone has like broken into Robert, you don't want them getting out. But it's also like the the it also wouldn't have worked when they entered because the five of the six of them didn't know what to ask for. Mm. Harry now knows what he wants to ask for. He wants to leave. Yeah. But at the beginning, he didn't know to ask for the Hall of Prophecies because he didn't know that's what he was looking for. It's interesting. Maybe it's like maybe it's the exact same magic mm-hmm. as the the room of requirement. Mm, you have to be like almost maybe specific. It, maybe it is a room of requirement. Ooh, like, I like that a the lot. The entire ministry. Yeah, I, I like, like as in the the Department of Mysteries. Thank you. And I almost like that the six of them could have sped it up, but they didn't know what they were looking for. If they yeah. said Hall of Prophecies, the door would have opened. But, but they also, didn't know why it was would called you, the Hall of Prophecies. You wouldn't go into this like high security place expecting that you could just ask for what you want. Yeah. So, mm. no, I I quite like that, yeah, actually. Yeah, same. Okay. So Harry gets in the elevator and heads up to the atrium. And in the atrium, Bellatrix starts to taunt Harry because mm-hmm. Harry's saying he wants to kill her, scorning Harry for loving he says Mm. oh like baby harry did you love him and i think this is really important in the next chapter when dumbledore obviously says that the power that voldemort knows not is harry's ability to love because bellatrix taunting him in this way about him loving sirius is what makes harry fire off the crucius curse and bellatrix and voldemort view this as Harry's greatest weakness, whereas Dumbledore viewed this as Harry's greatest strength. And at the moment, Harry doesn't know what it is. He just knows he loves Sirius. Mm. So he fires off 
Crucio at her. I just found this so interesting because I kind of forgot about this. Like I knew he used Unforgivables in book seven, but I kind of forgot about it in this book. And I really like it because we know in book seven that almost propaganda that's put about is that Harry refuses to use anything but Expelliarmus. Harry doesn't want to harm. Mm. But this book teaches us that Harry will harm. Harry will use these spells if he feels it's necessary, if he feels his need to. And that is more important that, that he never had and he just won't because it's really important that in the rest of the books he's choosing not to. I love that him using an unforgivable curse is put in this early because it means that every other time he doesn't use an unforgivable curse is a choice. He is choosing not to harm people in book six. He is choosing not to harm people well, apart from that time he nearly kills Malfoy, but he doesn't know what the spell is. <laughs> like on the um the escape out the ministry. Uh, the escape out of yeah. um twelve Privet Drive in book seven. He is choosing not to use unforgivable curses because he doesn't want to kill people, but he uses it in this moment with Bellatrix because he views it as worth it. And he uses them in book seven when he views it as worth it. And I think that's really important because Voldemort views it as a weakness that Harry uses safe spells, mm. like spells that won't kill people. But Harry does use them when it's necessary. So I was yeah. just like, oh, I really like that he uses it here. Yeah, same. It's like, it doesn't work, but <laughs> no. It's also it's a it's a growing up moment for him, not only in terms of like him getting to the more serious side of magic, but also in terms of like I feel like you experiment with a lot of shit as you grow, be it like your appearance, like your taste in things, yeah. like drugs, your personality, like whatever it is, like you experiment with shit for Harry, he's like, Is dark magic my vibe? And then he's like, No. No, I didn't like it. And then he doesn't use it again. I mean, he doesn't... I mean, yeah, he uses Imperius. And then he uses Unforgivable Curse when they offend McGonagall in Book 7, right? Is that an Unforgivable he uses? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. So good. Yeah, so fucking oh, good. God. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, But yeah, I just love this. It's not a can't, it's a won't. And I really love the distinction between a can't and a won't. Yeah. So Harry is crouching behind the statue of the wizard, the witch and the magical creatures as Bellatrix taunts him. And Bellatrix is firing spells at him and Harry hides behind the statue, the like the statue as the male head gets blasted off the statue and throws across the wall. And I know J.K. Rowling almost overuses the symbolism of this statue throughout the book. I don't care. I love it because I love the mm. symbolism of it. But so this wizard's head get blasted off and then she chooses to describe how Harry first crouches behind the centaur, then the house elf, then the goblin. And this is great symbolism for the fact that wizards are not the one that will necessarily help Harry. And Harry is marked as the difference from Voldemort, the antithesis from Voldemort because of his love and his trust and his respect for magical creatures and his respect. <laughs> his willingness to use them as a shield. <laughs> Almost, yeah, but like Dobby becomes his shield, as horrible as it is, because Harry showed him kindness and love that no other magical entity had ever shown yeah. him. He treated him as an equal. Harry treats Grob as kind of an equal, but he treated the centaurs as an equal when he first mm. met them. Like, Harry has this capacity to treat people as an equal that Voldemort does not, and it's all in this symbolism of the fucking statue. And yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a tiny bit heavy-handed, especially when Dumbledore brings it up in the end, but this is a children's book, and this yeah. is the first time J.K. Rowling has put in, like... I mean, she's always put symbolism in, but this is quite 
heavy symbolism and i i like it i'm like yeah 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 he's hiding behind the house elf that voldemort would never even view as someone who is worth his time to put trust in yeah I like absolutely that. i like that so bellatrix says give me the prophecy and harry's like ha jokes on you smashed it's it smashed Whoa. And he's like, Voldemort's really angry because Harry's trying to get pain in his forehead. And Bellatrix is like, no, yeah. n- no. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, don't punish me, master. Which, I'm sorry, I refuse to believe that Bella would not want punishment if there is any couple into BDSM. It is absolutely Voldemort and Bellatrix. Uh, she would be begging for the punishment. Yeah. Not that I believe Voldemort had a sexual relationship with anyone, because oh, I find absolutely that whole not. idea. Oh, I'm oh, only going gross. off Cursed Child, which is not canon. But not you canon, know. but yeah, a hundred percent. But regardless if it, they do have a sexual relationship, I do think that Bellatrix still wants punishment. You 100%, know, hundred percent. Harry also calls Voldemort your dear old mate. Which I'm sorry, Harry, did you get transported to the 1940s? What an insult! Your dear old, your mate. good old chum, your good old chummy Voldemort. <laughs> it's like in the like first films when they just speak like victorian children <laughs> but hagrid i haven't any money <laughs> that's literally what i was gonna quote so good um, but hagrid there's no such thing as platform nine, nine and, and three, three quarters, quarters. is, is there, there? <laughs> no one speaks like that i love it i love it so yeah harry's kind of taunting bellatrix he's like he can't hear you he can't hear you and then voldemort comes in the best line of the series can't I, Potter? Oh. We talk about Snape's dramatic entrances, oh, yeah. but nothing tops Voldemort. This is supreme. <laughs> Meanwhile, whilst this is going on, absolutely Dumbledore is hidden around a corner. He followed Harry straight out, let's be real. He absolutely... He was probably in the same elevator, but Harry just didn't notice. <laughs> and now he's like, I'm just going to hang back away for the most dramatic moment. Like, oh, drop. And then he a saw Voldemort came out and he was like, the, that's the standard. That's I've the got standard. to beat that standard. Can't I Potter <laughs> is the gold star. Oh, can't yeah. I Potter beats everything Snape has ever done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but then Bellatrix is like, no, no, no. Like, he's here, he's below. And you're like, he like because it's kind of like not said but said and like this is one of my biggest issues with michael gambon's betrayal i i have a lot of the way that he did (laughs) dumbledore but i feel like because he made him so fucking like aggie in the films it loses this moment loses any impact because you just kind of have this him established already as this like scary powerful figure whereas in the books yes you've kind of had it hinted at you've kind of had those moments but and, you know, he has been angry before, but not properly. But you've not really seen the, like, scary, powerful... You have not, as per the chapter, seen why he is the, the only, only one, one that Voldemort is... That's why yeah. the chapter is called that! Yeah! So, like, this is the first time in the books that you really fucking see that. Yeah. And I... And it's chills. Like, I was reading yeah, this yeah, chapter yeah. and I was having to read bits out loud, which is what I do when he... I really need to concentrate, because I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, like... I'm so used to this because I've read it before, but Harry and the reader have never witnessed this. He goes from this quirky, whimsical, camp, magical old man to this, like, terrifying boss-ass bitch. Yeah. And it loses any impact in the films because of the way that Michael Gambon had portrayed it already. Yeah, as cool as they actually did the fight, and they did a good job on the fight, Michael Gambon's prior portrayal 
prior portrayal made it lose all yeah, meaning. Absolutely. But yeah, because like reading this did make me kind of like realize something on a level that I already knew. But I hate fight and battle scenes, particularly when reading. I don't love them to watch them anyway, but mm. I hate them read that I just I glaze over them. I'm like, uh, I'm like, get to the point, okay? Like, things are happening, but like, but like, what's the end result? <laughs> Plot is happening. Yeah, literally. Like, for, they just this. I kind of there's a lot going on, and I can appreciate that there's like cool descriptions of magic, but it's just like not a thing in literature that does it for me. And I think like we recently had a conversation with you and Neil about the third Hunger Games book. Yes, we did. and I was saying why I don't like it, and I think because a lot of that's like action battle scenes. I'm just yeah. like, eh. yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. But I like this one. <laughs> I mean, I don't I, I don't have so much against it. Yeah. I see what you mean, Danny. I do think as far as they go, it's a good one because it has some very interesting descriptions of magic. Mm. But I just think overall, I just, you know, when you kind of, you're reading something, but you're like skim reading. Yeah. I, I almost, not in the way I tend to skim read because I'm necessarily not interested. It's more because it's a battle scene. When you watch something, you're forced to watch it at a pace. When you're reading something, your brain is like, I need to get to the end. I need to get yeah, to the yeah. end. So your brain tends to skim read. And mm. that's sometimes what I don't like about reading it is I... That's why sometimes I actually force myself to read it out loud. Mm. Because it at least slows me down to yep. a pace rather than skim reading. Absolutely. So yeah, can't I Potter? And then... Voldemort actually does his best line of the season and the thing he should have done from the beginning. I have nothing more to say to you, Potter. And he fires a Vada Kedavra at Harry. Well he, done. For the first time, you haven't done a fucking speech about what you want to do. Says, you have irked me too many times. times. Which I just feel like is the understatement of You have the irked me, boy, who has <laughs> killed like, me. He has defeated him and shattered his soul so many times. And he's like... You have irked me. me. <laughs> but yeah, it's the fact that finally he's like, I can't be asked to do a speech. I'm going to kill you. Yes. And Harry doesn't raise his wand. He does nothing because he's so deep in his grief. He cannot even be bothered to raise his wand. My favourite thing is like any piece of media that like takes the piss out of like villains really long speeches that yes. they do. Yes. I love it so much. There's a really great episode of Buffy where she like defeats this like like amazing like you know historic like foe of hers mm. um that and she like defeats him and stuff and then like at the end of the episode you know when it kind of does like a post creditsy thing there's a scene where it's just like the crypt that they had their final showdown and it's just like the empty room and then like there's kind of like all this dust starts to gather together and then like the foe like reappears okay and then she just appears and stakes him and she's like she has some quip, like quip. I won't say it exactly, but she's like, "You don't think I know? That's what you you're gonna do, like." <laughs> and it's just like it's just like chef's kiss because it just takes the piss out of all of that, like, I like that. those uh, tropes. Yeah, yeah. I like that Voldemort finally didn't do his trope in this one, but it still didn't yeah. work. <laughs> he's just like, "I've learned from my lessons." Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. Oh gonna no! And then he's and like, "Oh fuck, it's Dumbledore." And then he learns again in the seventh by actually having someone check that he's dead. <laughs> check his dead. He's like, "No, I don't believe it." Check. And then that doesn't work. It's whoa, so good. Whoa, whoa. Anyway, so yeah, as he fires the killing curse, Dumbledore makes the. Headless golden statue dive towards Harry and reflect Which is the spell. A boss ass bitch move. Honestly. It's like he could have just done a shielding charm, but he's like, what is the. No, shield charms don't work. Oh, yeah. But like, he's just like, what is the maximum level of drama here? A headless. 
statue. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> so then Dumbledore and Voldemort start their all-out fight. Dumbledore sets all the other magical statues alive, and they each have specific individual tasks. And he does one spell to set these all off, mm. like the power that this man yeah. has each of them one of them is carrying a message to the minister for magic one of them is carrying a message to someone else one of them is pinning bellatrix yeah. to the floor the other one is keeping harry alive how do mm. they know to do that i don't yeah. know so uh voldemort and dumbledore have great banter uh dumbledore um, calls him tom which is the ultimate power ooh, move oh yeah he's like you shouldn't have come it. here tonight tom and i'm like oh yeah and tom's basically like you think you can kill me or whatever and uh dumbledore's like merely taking your life would not satisfy me but also dumbledore has no interest in killing no because he knows because he knows he knows at this point about the horcruxes and this will come so important in the next chapter Mm -hmm. but at this point dumbledore knows about the horcruxes so it would be pointless to kill yeah oh and it's so good it's so good when you read it back knowing that because i'm like we see it the first time reader as a moment of compassion from Dumbledore. Yeah. That he doesn't want to take a life. Mm. It's not. Dumbledore would take a life if he needed to. Yeah. It's the fact that Voldemort I mean, has Horcruxes. Yeah. And it really changes the m- moment yes. when Harry gets possessed by him and Voldemort's like, oh, like, would you kill the boy? But of course Dumbledore's not going to kill the boy because he knows that that won't work. And it's so good because it's this, like, in hindsight... It these removes, chapters are so good it, when you read them It doesn't them even back. remove the impact. It changes the impact. Yeah. And it's like, I would love to know what, what Dumbledore was thinking, what he was going to do, because he knew that he couldn't just kill Harry because he knew that wouldn't do shit. But, like, what what was he going to do? Until Harry threw Voldemort out of him, when but he was Dumbledore just possessed... Like, what this was always a possibility. He knew that Voldemort would try this at some point. He says it in the next chapter. But... No, but he didn't know that Harry's love would be enough to no. force him out. So, like, how was he planning on getting Voldemort out of him? Like, just really spanking him hard until he... <laughs> Maybe he was like, if Voldemort kills Harry in the process, then... Yeah, but, like, how... I guess, but, like, I don't know. I feel like he would have at least... He, would, he definitely would have wanted Harry him, to like, live. out of the body. Of course. Because he knows course. that Harry is the chosen one. So he wanted him out of the body, but, like, what was he going to do? What magic was he going to do? fascinating it's fascinating i just love it so voldemort's like there's nothing worse than death yes that's such a good line there is nothing worse than death and dumbledore says there is a lot more things worse than death in Mm. this life and it's so deep and poignant yeah and i love it they're having like a philosophical battle as as well as a wizarding one. Yeah. So Fawkes the Phoenix arrives, just like, boop, 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 motherfuckers, and swallows a killing curse. Because Dumbledore was being attacked from two sides. He had a killing mm. curse and a snake, and Dumbledore does with the snake, and then Fawkes is like, meow, and eats the killing curse, and then Dumbledore fires a spell which turns the water in the fountain into a cage. Wild. Wow. We I just wrote down that we have never seen Dumbledore do magic like this and mm. it, it's exhilarating. Like in all honesty, for a series about magic, we really haven't seen that impressive magic. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen like spells that are kind of convenient, kind of cool. Mm. And now we're suddenly like, whoa, whoa. And yeah. Harry never learns shit like this. And it's brilliant. It's yeah. so cool. Voldemort then disappears from the room and Dumbledore for the first time is scared. Mm. And then Harry's scar explodes in pain and Voldemort is possessing Harry Mm. and uses Harry's mouth to ask 
Dumbledore to kill him. Yeah. He's like, if death is nothing, kill the boy. And we learn in the next chapter that Dumbledore knew this was a possibility all along. And in killing Harry, if Dumbledore did do it, he also would have killed a part of the soul. Mm. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Because Dumbledore is all about the greater good. Mm. He wouldn't have done it. No. No. He wouldn't. No. Because even though he is about the greater good, his weakness is Harry. Yeah. And he, uh, yeah, I think he also knows that it has to go down a certain way and that's not the way. Yeah. But then Harry is in so much physical pain from Voldemort <laughs> possessing him that he thinks in his head, Dumbledore, please kill me, please. Yeah. And then he says, and I'll see Sirius again. And he starts to think about Sirius. And him thinking about Sirius expels Voldemort from his body in a way that I listened to this on the audiobook today. And when this happened, I laughed out loud so hard because it was as if the gay thoughts expelled Voldemort from his body. He was like, ugh! I'm not catching homosexuality and then just noped out of there. No, it's so <laughs> sad because his grief is so raw that he would rather be dead in this moment so that he can be reunited with Sirius than be alive and see Ron and Hermione again. It's so sad, but I just find it so hilarious that he just thought about Sirius and Voldemort was like, ew! Ew! <laughs> ew. <laughs> but it's just... <laughs> oh, it's so heartbreaking that a 15-year-old boy would rather be dead in this moment than be alive. Like, the torture mm. he has been through would rather leave him dead with Sirius than alive with Ron, yeah. Hermione, and everyone else. Voldemort is kicked out of Harry's body, and Harry clearly blacks out for a little bit because when he comes to, the atrium is filled with people who weren't there before, including Fudge, and they have seen Voldemort. They saw Voldemort grab Bellatrix and disapparate, so they yeah. now know Voldemort is back. And yet Cornelius gets really fucking tempted to arrest Dumbledore. He's like, and you made a false porky. I'll yeah. the blood. And Dumbledore just shuts that shit down. I he's wrote, like, Dumbledore all but tells Fudge to fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you can have half. He's like, don't be silly. You're ridiculous. You can have half an hour of my time. And then I'm going back to the school where they need me, where I am headmaster. You need to contact me. You can send letters to the headmaster. Like, oh. He's like, letters to the headmaster will find me. These children need me. I'm out. Goodbye. Yeah. Love it. So. Big dick energy. Good. And also Fudge's bumblingness just makes way so well for the first chapter of book six when, like, out of Harry's mind and view, Fudge is replaced. That's it's it's good political commentary on why he's a place because he turns up and he's like you can't make a porky yeah and there's a line that he he looks around like he's hoping someone will tell him what to do and you know what my one word note was about this Boris yes <laughs> literally Boris. same energy denied something was happening until way too late and then is fumbling around like he doesn't know what to do I didn't know I was at a party I didn't know was at a party is it a party i hope by the those time texts to fucking dominic coming being like but what 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 should we do i hope by the time this episode is released that boris is no longer prime minister that's but, very possible 
Is it? Because at this point, I don't understand how he survived all that he has. No, he's I out. don't understand. He's out. This I is don't understand. Remember when it was like Gordon Brown and he's called a bigot a bigot and then had to resign or whatever? No, like, this, this, this is it. This is it. We will have we, a new prime minister in a month. We have said this so many times. No, we will have a new prime minister in a month. I, bet I you, hope so. I bet but... you a pint. Okay. Okay, great. Okay. Anyway, fudges, fudges Boris. Fudges Boris. And that's where the chapter ends. Yeah. What a great chapter. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Amazing. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm. Love this. I love this chapter. I love this end it's of the good. book. It's, it's big. The, 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 the book... You were trying to remind me what happened in this book, and I was like, I don't fucking remember. It's too long. But the it end of this book is fire now. Like it all, all now. It's yeah, so good. Mm, it really it's is so good. Thank you, guys. Let us know if you have any thoughts about any of the things we've said. <laughs> See you in the next episode, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. To find us on social media, search at Goblet of Wine Pod on Twitter or at Goblet of Wine Podcast on Instagram. We also have a website over at www.gobletofwine.co.uk where you can keep up with everything that we do. This podcast is produced by our wonderful Hufflepuff tier patrons. Samuel, Samantha, Ronan, Nicholas, Lewis, Layla, Catherine, Hannah, Ashley, Ash... Emily and Alexia. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out our Goblet of Wine Patreon, where you can also gain access to bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and our Discord. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye! Bye.